One of the most striking things when I looked at your work is there's one image that stands out in the suicide machine. Yeah. And uh, it's a quote, really. And it's the, um, and the quote is, happiness is something to love, something to do, and something to hope for. Oh, is this the picture with it it's cracked in half? Yes, yeah. and, I, and I kind of thought that that particular image sort of summed up suicide machine in, in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about the project. Well, basically, well, that picture um, was one of the earliest pictures that I took. Um, when it wasn't, when the kind of synopsis wasn't that clear and I was still kind of, you know, trying to fill in the gaps when writing it. And that, um, went round to my ex-girlfriend's house, strangely enough, because we were still friendly and she was going through a tough time and, uh, we went out the back for a cigarette and this was just on the wall. I said, I really need to photograph that. And she didn't really understand what. The point of it was, but um, anyway, took the shot and it escalated from there. It, it kind of gave me direction then of what the kind of, um, what I wanted to kind of touch on with Bridgend and what was the whole overall feeling of, of just the, the people and, you know, uh, just everything really all i wanted to encompass oh, it's it's really hard to kind of hit the nail on the head but i really wanted to find out what bajen was like from an outsider's point of view i suppose and and give an honest portrayal of of what it was like and you know um cuz it's easy to walk around your town and kind of uh just not see what's in front of you basically so you know i did a lot of walking around and a lot of looking just to see what people are missing you know, whether it be rubbish or graffiti just, i didn't want to be too cynical so i've tried to take some a lot of the shots in during nice weather for example it'd be easy to go out on a rainy day and make it look you know double awful but so I wanted to uh, just take the shots on a nice day so it was kind of uh... the title is very interesting um, uh, uh, and um, <laughs> suicide machine I mean suicide I'm and the, the whole emotive thing about uh, Bridgen being a sort of because uh, part of the instigation to do the project was that you met a guy or somebody said when they saw it on your passport that's yeah, suicide town yeah yeah um but suicide machine very emotive title well, it, was that a deliberate thing on your part yeah. well it came the it was a song on an album years ago called suicide machine so i, I kind of made the connection there and i thought you know is Bajen, is it a suicide machine you know I've taken a lot of stick for the title. You know, I've had a few people on Twitter saying, whoa, no, uh, mm. that's just not right. As it, well, the project isn't directly about suicide or the suicides. Mm. It's, a, it's about the kind of um, the state of the town and where it's headed and what's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, I did take some stick over the title, but I stuck with it. I did stick a question mark after it 
at one point and I was talking to a friend and uh, um, this particular friend, um, he did a suicide in his family. So I thought there's no better person to talk to. You know what I'm saying? Are you offended by the title? Should have put a question mark on the end. He said, absolutely not. He said, suicide has always been glamorized. That's why I got accused of initially was glamorizing suicide. Mm. He said suicide has been glamorized, you know, for decades, you know, rock stars and what have you. He said, leave it. He said, doesn't offend me. Don't put a question mark on the end. Just leave it as it is. So I did. But I can still sense that the people of Bridgend don't really like it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it touches a nerve or whatever, but but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> so your, um, your square mile is important to you then? Oh, yeah, I get absolutely. That, I get that impression from a lot of your workers that, uh, you know, uh, you talk about a house that you lived in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and so... Um, and uh, you said as well that looking uh, looking is an important factor yeah. in getting what you want. Um, and so there's an element of psychogeography, and I think this is a theme that's running through all the conversations we're having yeah. with photographers, that place and time is an, imp- is an important factor in everything. Yeah, absolutely. I used to, when I first started... Uh, enjoying photography i used to be obsessed with strangers and street photography and maybe stopping people for a street portrait but as i got older i think that um the things around me seem to matter a bit more so i'm taking pictures of people i know or people i sort of know you know um it doesn't bother me the whole stranger thing anymore so i've just decided to Record what's important to me, basically, and, uh, you know, help me decide to make some decisions for the future, really. So, What sort of decisions, then? I don't know. Well, we've toyed with the idea of, uh, basically, you've just bailing out of Bridgend. <laughs> because Kate's not Kate's from Preston, mm. and she's lived abroad. She's lived in Chile and um, Shanghai. So, so when she first moved to Bridgend six or seven years ago... She found adjusting really hard to come from, well, Santiago in Chile to Bridgend. And it was kind of like she'd lost her whole circle of friends. Her her parents are from in Preston, 250 miles away. So watching her kind of try to adjust and listen to her say what's wrong with Bridgend has made me kind of open my eyes because she loves Bridgend. She, the, the, you know, she'll admit there's worse places than this. We got the coast, we got the valleys. You know, it's beautiful, but there's, you know, it's the town centre's pretty soulless these days. But there's so, so many places like that. Yeah, it just seems to be a an ongoing pattern of towns like this. You know, they're surrounded by supermarkets, and mm. um, they're pretty much doomed. Yes. Well, another interesting feature of that of uh, uh, your suicide um, project was the fact that uh, looking at the pictures mm. at each and I think it's a feature of your work yeah is that each picture tells a story and that's um, that's something that takes a lot of time and effort yeah um, do you explicitly go out to tell a story with each picture or are you more 
looking on a on a on a wider, broader scale uh, with your art. Um, that's a great question, actually. Um, I suppose I want I do want each picture to tell some sort of story, and uh, there is um, some sort of metaphor behind each photograph, if you like. You know, the majority of the, some of them are aesthetic, obviously, and. Uh, they still fit into the the project but um yeah there's definitely hidden metaphors and stories within each picture i'd say yeah yeah definitely and i do you know i will kind of drive around and and you know, on a reconnaissance and then when the sun is in the right place i'll go back there then and sometimes several times mm. just to get it right um but yeah, I think it's important for each picture to have some sort of depth to it. Absolutely, yeah. Do you intend? Are you going to publish? Are you going to make a book out of it? I would love to, but whether that will happen is another thing. I could, you know, I couldn't afford to self-publish. Um, it would be nice if some, if a publisher became interested in it. I'd be kind of yeah, go for it, but. We'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and work on it for another two years and mm. kind of go through a strict editing process then and see yeah. what we come up with. You actually you remind me of another photographer, a great friend of mine, um, Dewey Glenn Jones from North Wales. He's a great storyteller, right? With pictures, and uh, there are two uh, actually from that project. Um, there's the the crashed car which I find is a really phenomenally good oh, picture. Oh, yeah, 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 I know the one. And the picnic as well. You know, the picnic, the little family having oh, yeah, a picnic. Yeah, yeah, It's kind of those things. Where, and it's, it's, I find that ability to tell a story with a picture because I'm always looking for stories to tell. Yeah. Because I think um, a photograph has to be more... Some. I don't know whether that's because... Um, the way I think, but it has to be more than just a picture. A picture, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, there's good, but you know, you you look at some of the greats, and there's always depth to their photos, yeah. and whether it be you know something in every inch of the frame, or whether there's a um, some sort of hidden metaphor, you know, yeah. and you know it's important, I think. So that takes me back to when you started as a photographer and right. you, when you were doing uh, the stuff with skateboarders. Yeah. Now, was that the key that opened the door to tell the stories at a later time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, um, well, I grew up skateboarding and, you know, from the mid 80s, I suppose, to, and then kind of it fizzled out in about 1991, 92 but then in about 95 96 I went back to it hmm. and of course it was a some of there was no there was some of the older generation of boys were still amongst it but there was a new generation and it was just it was a breath of fresh air so I I was about 21 at the time so although I was still enjoying skateboarding I knew that <laughs> I had to kind of set myself up for a time when uh, it couldn't be done anymore but I also enjoyed photography at, only a kind of point and shoot. I, I I would take it everywhere and just point and shoot. What camera were you using? Uh, at, at the time, oh, I, I think it was a Panasonic, just thirty five mil point and shoot. Right. My brother was, he was in, 
he had just bought an SLR and Minolta. He said, oh, the, you could buy yourself an SLR. And I went, hmm. So he went to the camera shop and picked one up for me. And that was it. It was a Minolta 5000. Oh, gosh, I had one of those. And it was, uh, and he got me a, a Casina 17 to 35. So it was wide. Yeah. And that was it. The, I just couldn't get enough of it then. And, and you know, I, I made so many mistakes, but as you do, you know, and, yeah. but I was really enjoying it. And some of the pictures were coming out and, yeah, they're fond memories, absolutely. But the the storytelling thing, maybe I fell into it by accident, to tell the truth. Started just taking photos of what was happening around me. And then before you know it, when you put it all to the body work together, there's a... Mm. It's a huge theme with the story of uh, just this group of boys growing older together, you know, <laughs> still riding around on skateboards, which I'm occasionally still known to do <laughs> as a 40 year old. <laughs> there's been some interesting stuff because they all, all these town centers now. There's a, I can't remember the name of the photographer, um, but he publishes stuff and he did um, a series about all the. Um, Bits of metal they now put on things to stop people from skateboarding. Oh, this is Mark, Mark Valley. Yes. Yeah, I know Mark. Yeah. And uh, Skate Stoppers. That's right, yeah. And incredibly, the story of the skate spotter was a, a skateboarder invented it. Good gracious. Yeah, uh, um, I'm sure it was down to a, a professional skateboarder called Ken Park, an American guy, and he came up with the concept of the skate stopper, which is... There's some sort of irony, double irony in there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, thanks so. a lot, Ken Park. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I suppose they do cause damage. You know, if you've got, you, uh, there's nothing better for a skateboarder to see a nice fresh marble block <laughs> and uh, rub some wax along it and then start chipping bits off it with your skateboard so you can understand. But. Yeah, yeah, that was a great project by Mark, yeah. Yeah, but it's obvious uh, the love you had for the sport comes through in the photographs. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I felt as though, you know, I could go, because I was close with the boys. They were the same group of boys. I could get in as close as I wanted, and they were just so used to me being there. You could, you could fire a flash six inches from their face, and they wouldn't care, you know. So it was... It was just really good times, the skateboard. And they kind of, it's, um, there's an argument whether it's a sport or not, but it, there's definitely that element to it. But there's no one kind of telling you what you can and can't do, you know. So there's this kind of edge to it all, really. And some of the boys are just absolutely wild, you know, wild men. And unique I suppose <laughs> that's for sure yeah. but um yeah that's what I kind of liked about it the most was uh it was um there was no kind of organization there no one telling you what to do and you were and in a way you were kind of sticking it to the man you know you've just especially Bridgend because they would we went for years they they wouldn't build us a skate park and there's not even an acceptable one you're now all these years later so take that Bridgend council. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I swear, I'm at war with the council of this town. <laughs> so, uh, so that counterculture really um, important to you, I guess. Then. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we, you know, we talk about the kind of um, uh, 
the different aspects of, of skateboarding all the time. As you get older, you kind of tend to talk about it and watch it a bit more. So I think in every... You can go anywhere in the world almost and you'll see a, a gang of skateboarders. In the Western world, anyway, I should say. Even though it's spread in further east. But, you know, you can go anywhere and this subculture exists everywhere. And it's fascinating. You know, um, it is like some sort of brotherhood, you know, I suppose. And, yeah, it's great. You've travelled a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through a phase of... Uh, um, around 2007 to 2010, kind of uh, had some savings out. I thought, oh, I've got to get out of here for a bit. I met Kate in, in Shanghai. All right, okay. And when I was over there, and yeah, we went to South America together, India, Nepal, Vietnam. Just brilliant. You know, I, I think about it every day, especially South America. It was in, incredible. Yeah. But, you know, once you do that to yourself, you just get the itchy feet every day then. And the furthest we can, we've gone uh, since we've had the little one is we took it to Paris and we've been to Barcelona, which is, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we love Barcelona, so uh, I'll accept that. You still shoot on film. Yeah, yeah. We live in a maelstrom of, <laughs> in, of the of digital. I knew this was coming. Uh, well, well, no, I, and I don't mean uh, no, I don't mean it in a disrespectful no, way I as know, well. No, I know, I um, know. Because it's interesting. Um, uh, it kind of takes me back because my roots are kind of in that area as well. well. They would be, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah you know. Um, although I've I haven't been a professional photographer all my life. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, um, and I still have rolls of film because I still do take photographs on 120 film with a medium format camera, nice. which I find <laughs> you can't beat it. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Well, you can't beat the process and the and the time it takes yeah. in order to do it. Um, These have been sitting up here now yeah. for uh, for weeks. <laughs> Is it, isn't it? But isn't it a strange thing? Because when I used to take 35 mil stuff. I used to have rolls of 35 mil yeah. on the shelf. And it would take me ages to get them done. Yeah, it does. And I you, think, is that part of the process, do you reckon? Yeah, you learn to become patient. And, you know, I almost forget about them. And I'm like, oh, oh, great. I, you know, I've got like six rolls of film up there that need developing. I wonder what's on them, kind of. It, yeah. You know, I know that two of those, uh, I've no idea what's on them. So, and that's, that's the Suicide Machine project. So that should be interesting. Because I'm not one to really waste film when it comes to shooting the Suicide Machine project because it costs me so much money to get them developed and scanned, etc. But, um, so it's nice to just forget what you've taken. I, you know, I'm, you know, I see so much chimping yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah. And I've been, you know, I, when I, if I ever shoot digital, you just, that's what you do straight away. You take a picture, you look at the back and... Everyone does it, but it's it's nice. I read a quote once um, that with with digital photography you're looking at the last shot, but with film you're looking for the next shot, which is I thought that, that kind of made sense to me. And um, yeah, it's kind of you shoot a picture on film and it's like onto the next thing because you know you've no idea whether it's 
you've done it right until you get them back. So, yeah, I've, you know, I've never made the transition to digital. I've just always shot film. You know, the digital camera we've got is Kate's. And occasionally I'll take some baby photos or a little commission here and there. And I'll do it on digital, but I don't own a digital camera. Apart, what else? Apart from uh, this little Canon. That's mine. <laughs> this has been great, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, it's f film all the way. So um, And I can see on the shelf behind you two Leicas, M6s. Yeah, yeah, well, that's an MP and that's oh, an right. M6. This was, this was my first one. I, the first Leica I bought in 2003. And, you know, that's got sentimental value. But I still use it. I still use them both. And... I alternate colour and black and white because uh, I like to shoot some colour, mm. 35. But basically, um, I just use them for snapshots these days. There's mm. no... Unless I'm doing uh, some work on the skateboard project, yeah. uh, which I don't really do a lot of these days, but I still use them all the time. It's interesting, though, that... Um, uh, People, I mean, using film, I was looking through stuff I shot when I was 18 last night. Yeah. Yesterday. And I was, um, I've got a stack of books with loads of negatives. Yeah, I bet. And, uh, loads. <laughs> I know of the feeling. <laughs> and loads of negatives. And I was looking at the stuff and some of it is scratched, you know, and but it does have a something special about it it's like going to the cinema as well because i miss the little dot that used to come up in the corner yeah and the flicker just this ever so slight flicker of yeah things. yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah uh, i kind of miss that everything's too clean yeah it is that's i suppose that's what i don't like about digital that as great as it is and i can appreciate that everything looks too sharp and perfect you know, I do like the kind of char characteristics of film and, you know, and you're not quite able to predict what it's going to come out like. And I, I really do like that. And I, I also like about film is that, that, you know, you hold a negative in your hand and that negative as was there at the time. It saw that exact scene and it's something you can hold. It's not a kind of mm. digital file. It's just... That has been there with you. Yeah, that's... And I kind of like that. Yeah, because the worrying thing about digital, and I'm sure you agree and concur with me, is yeah. that it's ephemeral. It's just ones and zeros. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have um, a physicality about it. And very few people actually print stuff. Well, that's another great point. That the art of printing is almost completely dead. It's, it's shocking, you, you know. I'll... As I say, I still shoot uh, rolls of colour film. I'll take them to Boots and have a set of film, a uh, set of prints, either, whether they be the baby or the dog. You know, still got them, and they're going to last a lifetime. Mm. So I think it's really important. But people just don't print their photographs. And, you know, in forty years' time, they won't be able to go and get that suitcase of photographs from the top of the wardrobe and look through them all because they won't be there. They'll. What will they do? Go through an old hard drive or something? Well, they probably won't be able to. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I have a, um, I have a theory about um, photography and um, uh, analog photography. 
um, and the gatekeepers to analog photography. A gatekeeper to analog photography in my family is my mother. Okay. She keeps a box and she has albums. Yeah. Which she writes, which is really good that she writes who the people are. That's important. That's really important. <laughs> so I need to start doing more of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, uh, that, that's an interesting thing because you find, and one of the saddest things going around, like car boot sales or whatever, or uh, flea markets, yeah, and you find boxes of photographs, and they belonged to somebody. Someone's life is just yeah. in a in a shoebox, and yeah. it's almost heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, someone someone gave me a box of. Uh, negatives and photographs last year and when Kate and I went through them on the light box upstairs they were literally a whole this um, this little girl from the moment she was born all the way up to when she was in her mid-twenties just a whole box of this whole this life and it turned out that she was either the daughter of um, the guy who founded the Scouts. What was his name? Baden Powell. Good gracious me! Yeah. So this is this. We're not quite sure of the connection yet, but um, there is. We do need to kind of uh, look at them a bit closer and maybe start scanning some of them. But we're going to get round to that one day. But and you know, you're wondering that there's there must be someone related that would have wanted all this, but it's just. It's ended up in my hands. Yeah, it's such a shame. Yeah, going back to the film stuff, I was um, I'm a great fan of uh, Philip uh, Jones Griffiths. um, Oh yeah, and I bought his book, the retrospective book, uh, the other day, and um, I I always wanted to own a copy of it. But you look at the stuff, and it ain't sharp. Well, it isn't, is it? Uh, No. But what what is really crucial about it is the light. Yeah. And you can there. Um, there's been a lot of work done on those in the dark room, and you can see that in them. And that, it's just really, oh god, it's hard to explain. The impact of those shots are just amazing. Just, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you obviously had his exposures right, <laughs> which is quite yeah, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But yeah, Philip Jones Griffiths. Yeah, what an important man. Yeah, the world lost a good one a few years ago when he passed away. But yeah, I often look at uh, my Vietnam ink, ink book, yeah. and uh, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't imagine what it was to be like to be in some of those positions. You know, it was terrifying. No, indeed. And it's the same with Dom McCullen. We saw the documentary in chapter. Was it last year? No, oh, I was probably in the in the same. Ah, room, right. Yeah, you probably were. And God, uh, the weight those guys must carry just. You can see it in Dom McCullen's face almost, can't you? That he carries it around every day, and and what I found fascinating with Dom McCullen, sorry, I'm probably going off the subject. No, no, no that's okay. <laughs> is that I was fascinated because he started shooting landscapes then. Yes. And I bought his landscape book after after seeing that documentary. I was just fascinated of, of these beautiful landscapes, but he'd printed them so dark, and there was just the only difference was there was just no kind of bodies lying on the road and burnt out tanks. And I'm sure there's some kind of transitional therapy for him mm. to just come from what he has seen into this. 
and it you know I, I'm sure it acts as a therapy for him I just can't imagine it I try to put myself in that position sometimes <laughs> it's like well but Gen Town Centre on a Saturday night is a pretty similar apparently do you regard yourself as an urban photographer rather than I don't really like the term urban. Well, no, I don't. But do you? I mean, there is such a thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose. Yeah, I'd fall under that kind of category. Yeah, definitely. You know, I. I suppose I like to do a bit of everything, really. You know, I've always been a bit like that. I I can't just stick to one thing. I like to shoot the the odd landscape, or, you know, a bit of street photography, or you know, some thematic stuff you know i'll just shoot anything i just love photography <laughs> are you self-taught yeah predominantly right because uh i did in the beginning in the early years i did uh go on a how to use your camera course yeah which was a few weeks in the local college and that helped that was great and my teacher clive has passed away now but what a character. He wasn't the best photographer himself, but he knew how to teach photography uh, and how to use a camera. And he was really kind of quite uh, passive-aggressive, really. You know, <laughs> especially when people would bring this stuff in to show him and he would just shoot them down in flames. And I kind of, I liked him for that. He was always terrified to bring stuff in to show him. But yeah, yeah, that's the only bit of education, I suppose. Yeah, showing your material when you first start is really uh, quite difficult to... Yeah, I found that difficult. Yeah, because you you don't know whether you're doing it right, and yeah. they you know you show it to someone with a bit of credibility, and you know they're gonna find the faults in it. So, but you learn from that, yeah. obviously. Um, this uh, will bring you to Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I've never actually shot the Elvis. Uh, I've never been. To, I've been tempted to go to Pop It's Cop. scary, it's <laughs> <laughs> especially at about four o'clock in the afternoon. That's when it kind of darkens. <laughs> Believe me. So, how have you shot it every year? Yeah, yeah, for about the last five years. I, I decided to draw the line this year, but I'm going to go back down there this year. I can't leave it go on without me. No way. <laughs> Do you wear a wig as well? You go? <laughs> maybe, I, maybe this year would be a good idea to just get involved. But I tried to kind of be all stealth and sneak about. But oh, it's 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 something else. It really is. You've got you kind of go round by the pavilion and that kind of area. It's it's quite civilized. But once you get down to where the the fairground is and the high tide. That's where the best people are. So I kind of tend to go and hang around there. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> You'll see some sights. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's a great thing. Um, I really do. And the amount of people that turn up for it, I just get really excited about it every year. And the other thing about uh, doing something often, I guess, because I go to um, a boxing club up the valleys. Oh, right. Okay. Often. Yeah, yeah. Um, but getting to know how it all works. Yeah. And I think that's crucial to being a photographer. I don't you know can anticipate agree. things then. and yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you learn to predict what's going to happen and that type of thing. So, yeah, the, the more times you go back to something, the better it's going to be, I suppose, yeah. So, um, you've been to Iceland. 
Yeah, every, yeah. Do it. Does every photographer have to go to Iceland? I think so. It's you know. I'm even. I'm sometimes I try not to even say it these days because everyone's been there, haven't they? So, well, we're going again in March. Just my brother and I, and there's something about that country. You know, it's it's to, you know you couldn't go there and shoot, uh, shoot street photography or anything like that. It's, because there's there's literally nothing there. It's, it's completely once you get outside the towns, there's nothing. And I think that's what I like about it. There's this kind of magic tingle in the air that that brings you back. Last year, I said to my brother, I said, "That's it," because I'm never coming here again. It was too expensive. That was our third. Vi- that was my third visit last year, and I was like, "That's it. I've, I'm done with Iceland." Because the last night we went to wash the hire car. And I went to pay, and it was £12.50 to wash the car. I said, right, that is it. I'm done with Iceland. And then a few months later, my brother is, are we going now to Iceland then? Oh, yeah, okay. Icelandic landscapes. Uh, interesting. How did you approach, or how do you approach, because you've been more than once to Iceland. Um, but the, the latest, stuff, latest stuff you've done that's on your website, perhaps. The, the Icelandic landscapes was... Um, you know, the first couple of times I'd been to Iceland, everyone does the kind of blocks of ice on the beach and the icebergs floating in the sea. So for me, it was, I wanted to show people what Iceland really looked like when you got out past the tourist areas. And to me, the, that encapsulates exactly what Iceland looks like. Because people see these kind of, tremendous photos of the northern lights with icebergs and it's not all like that that's for sure there's a lot of grimness there and just bleak nothingness which is fabulous in a way it it all came back to the first time we went to iceland a friend and i in 2007 and um we spent the whole time we couldn't afford a hotel so we we slept in the higher car in january now this is <laughs> it, it was some, it was a good idea at the time <laughs> so we slept in the in the higher car and this what it was it was completely empty that time of year you know mid january and we were driving we we're in the south we we're driving past uh what we looked to be that this strange landscape and we were like what is that my friend was like, it's, it's, the, it's a glacier. I was like, wow, we got to go up to that. So we drove, we turned off the road and we drove literally a mile over kind of this mad ground, which we we shouldn't have probably done in an estate car. I think it was, you should, it was four by four only, but we went anyway. We parked up, then we had to cross these kind of black sand dunes that took about uh, three quarters of an hour. Then we got to the other side of them and there was just, you could see this glacier in the distance. And we had literally just jumped out of the car and put, um, hadn't put our jackets on. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, we'll be there and back. Anyway, it took us, you know when something is really far in the distance and you're walking towards it and it's not getting any closer? Well, this is exactly what's happening. So we walk in, walk in. We, we crossed four, four, I think, frozen rivers. 
So it took two hours to walk there before. So we got there, just the most eeriest place I've ever been. Just this howling wind. And we were, we were like, God, it was just unreal. It just looked so different from when we were two miles away or a couple of miles away to when we were at the, everything looked black and gnarled and just incredible. You know, not a soul of anyone anyway. So we started walking. We said, well, we better get out of here because like it was two o'clock and it, it, it got dark at about four or started getting dark. So we started walking back. Um, oh, we need to take a few pictures. We stopped by this like frozen. It wasn't a lake. It was just a an oversized pond of just runoff glacial water. And uh, that was behind me. And then there was this big chunk of ice about the size of a house. And my friends say, "Oh, take a photo of me next to this ice." So uh, I was fiddling around with the camera, and all of a sudden. Just a pebble went, poof, landed over my head and skimmed across the ice. And I looked at him. I said, what are you doing? He said, I, did, I didn't do that. I said, seriously? And while we were bickering, it was like, poof, and we both looked, again. I was like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, let's go. So we basically started full trot Black clouds came in. It started hammering down. We were there with just shirts on. Over the frozen rivers. Across this landscape. Over the black dunes. It was hammering down with rain. We got over the black dunes. Where's the car? It should be there. We're like, well, I, you know, we've, we'd gone in a straight line. And we'd walked back in a straight line. Car was not, wasn't there. I was like, well, surely no one could have nicked it. There's no one within 50 miles of this area. So we went down. We walking round with the binoculars out. We couldn't just nothing. The car. I said, this landscape just looks completely different. With, you know, where, where's the car? So we were walking. He was, he was in a real grumping me now because uh, so he was about 40 yards in front marching looking for the car it's like there's no point i don't know where it's gone she said it was it was literally getting dark now because the light is strange over there anyway like subdued so he said oh, i'm gonna climb to the top of that hill and have a look so there's nothing else to do we'll have to do it so we we climbed up to the top of this like black cliff thing you know there was you could climb up we got to the top and you could just look see the silver estate car in the distance literally three quarters of a mile away and we were just like oh my god got there drove drove out and it, it, then we were kind of like well who was throwing stones at us we got the Lonely Planet out, and there was a whole section of Hulder folk. I was like, Hulder folk? And it was kind of like, they live in the desolate regions of Norway, like 80% of the Icelanders believe in them. And, you know, if you, they can play tricks on you, and they're pretty harmless, but they will kind of mess through the, your head, especially if you're 
and make you lose your bearings and anything like that. That seems, my God, this sounds so strange. And that was it, basically. So I decided to... Did a bit of research on Halderfolk, and it's quite a strong thing over in uh, Iceland. So they, uh, so that's where I thought that it's based. The the photos are based on a strong belief of the Halderfolk and where they might reside. Because apparently, if they're building a road and there's a Halderfolk um, story involved of some area, they'll make a bend in the road to go round it and all sorts. It's incredible. But someone that something that day was throwing stones at us in the middle of the wilderness, and because I keep telling people that, and they go, "Oh, maybe someone walking their dog," and it's like, "Oh, if I could only just show you where we were, there was no one there, no one." So, are you gonna when you go back to Iceland? Are you gonna develop this idea a little further? With yeah, I, I'll take a few more. Sh I'll take a few more. Uh, uh, landscape shots and try and bulk it out a bit but um, even the last time we went I, I always tell my brother this story and he's got it he's got the actual footage on YouTube we went to a glacier again no one around no other cars in the car park and he, he was standing on the edge of the, the glacial pool and he kicked some rocks down as he did that someone the other side we were like, what was that? He's like, someone just shouted at me. No one there. And he's he apps, he's got it on you. It's on YouTube, that is. You can just faintly hear the voice. Good gracious me. But there's something going on in Iceland, and it's really odd, you know, these things. Yeah. But the, the stone thing was just, we, we couldn't find any kind of plausible explanation, really, for that. You know, people say, oh, maybe they just rolled. I said, no, nah. you know, when you throw a stone across ice, it was literally like that. Like, so, older folk. We've got George skimming across the... <laughs> George the dog, by the way, for all you people. <laughs> all the... Sorry. Here he comes again. Stop Hello, George. Trotting. It's going to pick every sound up. <laughs> well, sorry that went on a bit long. Anyway, no, no, that's a, a fascinating That was the summarised version as well. Cause, uh, but, yeah. but it's interesting that you uh, divert away from that cliche. You don't like cliches, do you? Not at all. And it, I suppose in the beginning, everyone kind of falls into them. And, but they, they kill me, cliches do. And... You know, I will, I usually do something at least once. So once the whole ice blocks on the beach had been done, I just had to do something else mm. and take just, it satisfies my own kind of uh, um, curiosity then as well, you know. Is your brother a photographer? Yeah, yeah, he's... Well, in the, this area, he's quite a well-known uh, landscape photographer, and he's he's good, All right. and he sells lots of stuff, you know. Unlike me, he kills me in that market. He he gives the people what they want, you know, just local scenes done well. So, um, yeah, full respect to him for that, because uh, you know, I I always say to him, "You've sold your soul," but. Uh, He's the one reaping in the, war, the rewards, that's for sure. So how, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't, 
maybe it's a but I am going to ask you. Maybe I shouldn't, but you can tell me to go away to it. <laughs> uh, how do you make your money then? Oh God, I don't make any money. I don't. I've. I used to kind of. Um, I used to get at least two or three photography jobs a month. Going back a few years, always guaranteed. If you, oh, Dan, we'll do some shots of the kids or come and take some photos of our work we've been doing recently, blah, blah, blah. Now, nothing at all because there's so many people with a camera out there. So I've basically knocked commercial photography on the head completely. Um, you know, I get asked to do weddings and we did one a few months ago and I just keep saying that's it that's it no more <laughs> but that I, really was it at that time because I just yeah wed bear it weddings yeah I've I've only done four weddings ever yeah and I've done them for friends but they've always been really hard really difficult so difficult and uh, there's a lot of pressure oh yeah god um and I thought I photograph them reportage I don't I inv I don't do setups, but invariably, when you turn up to do it, they want setups because they of course change. they do. They yeah. change the goalposts yeah. because they know what their family require. That's it. So uh, a, a, a difficult one, and I um, <laughs> yes. I avo I try and avoid them. Although I had to do one for a friend again. And then it's the, all the editing that goes with it and shoveling through. That's the hard part. But were yeah. you doing it on film? I've shot them on film. We usually do it the the last three or four. We've we've done it as a partnership because Kate she's pretty handy with the camera. Yeah. So she'll do the digital and I'll do the black and white on film. So it's she'll take a thousand photos and I'll take like three or four rolls of film. So and then they want black and white enlargements and it's just it, it it's not worth it to tell the truth. Uh, you know I'm probably losing out, especially with you know film is seven quid a roll these days more or less and so oh, i'm done with that and i don't miss commercial photography at all you know but the money was nice so basically um go back to your original question i'm the i'm the stay-at-home dad these days while kate is the breadwinner but i do actually work um two days a week for my dad who's got a shop in town so that's for my that's my pocket money <laughs> to buy books and stuff <laughs> film books and film um, do you have ambitions as a photographer I don't know Kate asked me this <laughs> just before Christmas what do you expect to get out of photography I'm like oh I don't really know I just I just enjoy it and I need it if I don't I explained this to her I said if I don't do it then I don't know what I would do I just need to just shoot you know, there's not many days I can go without taking a picture. Yeah. I'd like, eventually, I, I'd like, you know, a book would be nice. Just to say, this is mine. But if it doesn't happen, so be it. I'll still shoot forever, I think. I'll never get bored of it. I've been shooting constantly now for 20 years, just constantly. And I, I don't, I would have got bored of, I would have got bored of it by now, I think. But so you, you have a huge body of work then. <laughs> yeah, there's so much stuff up there, in the dark room, and so unorganized. The the negative sheets are all in baskets, so every time I need to find a negative, if I do sell a print, I have to go through everything, <laughs> on the light box, 
But the joy of that is that sometimes I'll see other things in there as well. So, so that's why I've never changed the um, uh, the process of of going through them because I don't mind it. So do you do computer? Do you, I mean once you've scanned them? Do you do do you do Lightroom work on them or do you use I've, that? Or, or are you, are you all the stuff is done in the dark? The black and black. Well, lately because of paper, uh, darkroom paper has been has been uh, so expensive. It's, you're talking fifty quid, I think, for mm. a box of hundred sheets of eight by ten, where they used to be twenty. You know. 20 quid. Um, so I've started scanning a lot more. And when you scan black and white negatives, they're so nice. Sometimes you can't get a print in the dark room because of a dodgy negative. Yeah. You scan it and it's perfect. Yeah. So I've started scanning a lot more and not printing as much. But now, when I go into the dark room to do a print, I kind of enjoy it more because I used to print almost absolutely everything. Anything that was okay, I'd print it. But no, I'll, I'll scan it and do a lot of scanning. But just for the record as well, I don't own a copy of Photoshop or Lightroom or anything. It's all done on iPhoto <laughs> on the Mac. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it, I can blob out the dust spots and maybe put the contrast up a little bit. But that's it. <laughs> so there's no fiddling? Nothing. No filtering. Do you use filters on your cameras? As a, um... uh, no. No, you, you, uh, no, no just the U, UV. Just UV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, um, with the, the suicide machine work, I do boost up the. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, is it the highlight bar? Ah, yes, yeah. Boost that up a little bit just to get rid of the kind of um, glare and bring everything back a little bit. But that's all I do. And maybe the saturation a tiny bit. But that's it. So you get. All your exposures are pristine, then, are they? <laughs> yeah. Thanks to <laughs> thanks to that, anyway. <laughs> yes. So I may I may do a little bit of bracketing, you never know, one either side, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but thanks to that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Perfect. Um, and do you do medium format work as well? Well, all the suicide machine work is. Oh, it's all medium format. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, Either the Hasselblad 500 or um, the Mamiya 6. Oh, yes. I've always wanted to play with one of those. This has been great. Because I was with the Hasselblad, I was struggling to focus at kind of 2.8. Yeah. I wasn't getting it right. and But with the... Because uh, I used to range finders anyway. Yes. You'll just, even in the poorest light, you'll get a sharp yeah. image. Just love range finders. But this has been great. Even though, for some reason, I keep getting wonky horizons. So I right. I, I don't know whether there's something to do with the kind of um, the range finder or I can't understand. So, because sometimes it's really out, you know, and I'm like, surely not. So that's why I've got this on. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, yeah, that looks about right. But I still get it, so it must be something to do with the camera. So I have to sometimes straighten them in iPhoto as well. <laughs> uh, the one thing I we talked to the, uh, another a photographer friend of mine. Oh, he's he's in his uh, mid fifties. Yeah. Uh, Tim Collier is a fine photographer, and he's gone back to do five by four stuff. Oh wow! Um, and um, uh, he's um, really good at uh, his work is um, 
very measured, very clean, very good, yeah. very good work. I find find that with your work, because your work is very really? clean, yeah. Uh, especially the suicide machine. It's very clean work. You know, even though you're showing stuff which is decrepit and falling down. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's all it's all there, isn't it? It's not wonky or anything, really. It, some of it was wonky <laughs> <laughs> before I straightened it. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I've t I do take a lot of time to compose. If I see the right thing, I will get try and get everything perfect mm -hmm. before I press the shutter. Because yeah. I think it, we worked it out, and it costs about one fifty a shot or something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that comes into my head sometimes. So there's no room for mistakes, really. Not really, you know. It does. If sometimes I'll, I'll take a uh, a light reading with the the meter, and then I'll change the shutter speed, and then I'll I'll shoot, and I'll see that I forgot to do the aperture ring, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, you know, yeah. But there's a tolerance in film as well. I find I, 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 more of a tolerance with film than the, digital to some extent. Yeah, yeah, there I'm, is. I'm, I'm more of a tonal contrast. You know, your your blacks and your all through that sort of gamut of blacks, I find. You can get film. away with yeah. a bit more with yeah. film. Yeah, especially, uh, well, uh, negative film anyway, and not so much with positive, but I don't use that. Um, yeah, definitely, even if sometimes you feel like almost up to like two stops out, mm. you can almost get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. not too bad. Yeah. So the craft then in photography is really important to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was so used to shooting 35 millimeter that I really wanted to do um, a medium format project and t take my time over the shots. I was so used to snapping, zipping about with a 35. Really wanted to take my time and compose and and shoot a whole whole body of work. And plus, I'd been shooting black and white for so long. I was determined to do it in color. So it was out of my comfort zone a little bit, and it it it's coming together. It was, it, the pictures are exactly of how I pictured it and wanted it to be. I was reading a lot of contemporary photographers, you know, Alex Soth, that yeah, type yeah. of stuff, yeah. and I'm sure that rubbed off on me a little bit, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it you know I, I trawl through books for inspiration. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, really. No, I, yeah. I'm in total agreement with you there. I yeah. mean, it's finding out what other great photographers are doing and yeah, how, how yeah. they see the world, you know. Exactly. You know, it's always just to take a little pinch of what they do and not kind of the totally kind of plagiarise their work. <laughs> but, you know, just take snippets here and there and just, you know, that's what's always been done through anything creative I suppose if you were in a situation where a young photographer came to you or an aspiring photographer came to you and said what do I do how do I go about it what would you say to them <laughs> well this happened last week I was sent a questionnaire from uh, someone studying in the local college I, I think I basically tried to talk him out of it because <laughs> it was all about how do I make money how do I make a living? I, and I was kind of, you're asking the wrong person, yeah. But when it came down to it, I was saying, if you've got a genuine love of photography, just keep shooting and, you know, something will happen. Someone will see you work because, you know, 
good projects, good photos always get discovered. You know, nothing goes hidden. There's always someone will see something and post it online. So just keep chipping away like I have all these years. <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of um, the context of that as well is the situation of photography in Wales, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's. that's uh, how yeah. do you? How do you? I mean, because um, doing photon is um, has born out of our frustration, really, um, about the situation in Wales, and we're a disparate lot photographers in Wales. I find. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lone, lonely job, anyway. It is, yeah. Um, so, what, what, how do you feel about this uh, um, uh, Welsh photography? Do you think there is such a thing as Welsh photography? Well, it's definitely out there. You know, I know so many good photographers um, that are Welsh. Um, the thing is, I, it's I think things like this is all in the hands of the Arts Council, and it's up to them to promote it. And I, I suppose it depends who's in charge there at the moment and whether they like photography or not. You know. Because two years ago, they put the Diffusion Festival on. That seemed to be a great success. Everything's gone quiet since. I don't think... I, was, I think there was supposed to be another one this year, maybe. But I haven't heard anything. Um, I belong to a collective called Document in Britain. Yes, yes. And um, it's it's, it's Scottish-based. The, the head honcho is Alistair Cook. Oh, yes, I know. From... Scotland and I spoke to him in the week and he was just saying that Scotland is going through a massive boom of just photography and photographers mm. and everything's photography related so maybe it's just only a matter of time before that happens in Wales well I, we hope we hope so yeah uh, and I, I um, because I think uh, we need to show off what we've got here yeah definitely, uh, but definitely. We, uh, we, I suppose that, and that's the reason as I said, uh, for for doing photon really, um, uh, do you collaborate with anybody at all? Um, I've done one or two things. I collaborate sometimes with a, a writer called Rudy O'Neill, and we've done a few pieces for CCQ Mag oh, magazine. Yes. Yeah. Um, we did one uh, on the Elvis Festival. And then we did another one then on so, uh, Dylan Thomas walk through Swansea, which is really interesting. So, but I, I do collaborate, but not very often. Um, yeah, there might be a collaboration in the pipeline soon with uh, Rian Edwards, who's the poet in Bridgend. I know Rian. Yeah. She came up with me to see the boxing people up in oh, Tyrestown. Right. She's great, Rian. She is great, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a. Uh, the poetry just blows me away, especially when you do it live. It's yeah. incredible. And a good musician as well. Yeah, yeah. Ukulele. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, where next? Um, good question. I know that this project will kind of, if I can stretch it out another two years, that probably won't happen, but I'll have to start bringing it in, I suppose, in the next year and see what happens but i've got a few ideas for new projects um i need to go and do some reconnaissance missions and and test shots and see what happens you know <laughs> and then we'll go from there and see what happens i'd look forward to i'd like to shoot more 
color medium format, maybe six by seven next time, as opposed to six by six. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. There's nothing solid, because I'm just concentrating on the suicide machine at the moment. And is that one of those never ending projects? Hopefully it won't be. But I got a feeling that it might be, you know. Hopefully I can um just say, right, that is it and stick to my word. <laughs> we'll see. I think I'm gonna get I think I can feel that I'm getting fed up of the six by six format. Right. So maybe that will kind of make me draw the line under it. Because um I don't know, sometimes it just looks a bit the square format looks a bit iPhone-ish to me, you know? Yeah. And I think if I ever post a picture on maybe Facebook and it's the square, people just think it's an iPhone. Even though I've still got a Blackberry. <laughs> Honestly. It was really interesting because I have my, my great friend, Tim Collier, and I, because I, sometimes I think, what, what styles of uh, shooting fit your age in some respects? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. we both regard ourselves as dinosaurs, really. <laughs> <laughs> Do you regard yourself as a dinosaur because you've stuck with film? Um, maybe, yeah. That's a that's a great question. Some people just cannot understand the logic behind film. I I regularly argue with a, a guy on Facebook. And he cannot, for the life of him, understand why I shoot film. He's kind of like, oh, well, spend away. You know, I really don't understand why you do it. And But it helps that I never made the transition. It's not as if I went to digital and then went back to film. I've always been filmed. Yes. And there's something, uh, um, clockwork cameras. I, I love clockwork cameras. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I recently... <laughs> when... <laughs> When I was in college, the first camera I was given or bought, I think I got it when I was 17, was a Zenit E. Because yeah. that, that was the camera you Like get. a house brick, was it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I bought a house brick, a 135 lens to go with it, yeah. which was wonderful for portraits. Um, but uh, and you could drop it, you could do anything with it, really. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic tool, really, and I wish I hadn't sold it. <coughs> but the one camera I wanted when I was that age was a, was a Pentax. I really oh, wanted right. a Pentax camera. So I bought one recently on eBay, I bought a K1000. Oh, right, yeah. Which is, and it's pristine, it's yeah. as if it's never been used. And I've, I've got the 35mm, and I will go out and shoot and see what happens. because. Yeah, yeah. You fall into a mindset, that's the only thing with digital, you do fall into a mindset about it and it becomes, um, it becomes that it doesn't matter. Yeah, because, and you trigger happy as well, it's just kind of... Yeah, I've, I, when I first had a digital, yeah, it was like a machine gun. Yeah. Um, and I learnt that that was not the way to go about it really. I no. went I went back, stepped back, so... You know, when I go on a shoot now, I look for specifics now. Otherwise, you just spend half your life editing. You just kind yeah, of like, ooh, yeah, uh, yeah. it's difficult. I, you know, with with this, I'm quite jealous of those. Actually, it's yeah. purely mechanical. This yes, one, indeed. And it will. You just you kind of like, you take your time, and 
and then that's it and you just it just feels so nice just like and then that's it one shot hopefully you've got the exposure right but but it's it just feels so nice there's a feel into it you know whenever i use a digital slr it just feels empty and soulless you know even though they do a great job practically uh they can handle anything can't they yeah, low I, light to yeah. just everything I, I guess that's i mean the only the only reason i use digital really i suppose is because i work and i have to deliver stuff well that immediately absolutely you know, fair people enough and people expect it yesterday rather than today you yeah know? exactly and they and they expect that standard of what digital is everything completely sharp and ex yeah. all the tones are perfect and that's what they want you know as a yeah. customer so yeah. you can understand that yeah yeah you know you you wouldn't a client wouldn't want you shooting something on film when they when you're just like well i'll get back to you in 10 days hopefully they'll be all right and they're kind of like <laughs> what <laughs> so yeah digital is a yeah. is a great tool education photography education um where do you think it's at in wales i mean do young kids go to should they go to college should they follow somebody should they uh be an assistant to somebody or uh, what do you think is the best plan really education wise education well they for i suppose for contacts and absolute you know practical knowledge then to a to kind of um, assist someone is just the most valuable lesson you can learn, I suppose. But um, when it comes down to the courses and things, you know, we hold we got we've got the Newport documentary course. You know, it's highly acclaimed. Um, the journ the photojournalism course in Cardiff and the one in Swansea, I think they're both pretty good. <clears throat> so there seems to be a lot going on. But I really don't think Wales are making the most of that, you know. Um, they just, you know, we've got this, we've got a great gallery with photo gallery and they don't seem to be making the most of um, Wales and Welsh photographers. They, they're not interested at all, which is, you know, I don't like to to rubbish them. You know, they've held some great shows there, but surely, you know, they could... They do run education programs as well, which is great. Uh, darkroom courses and maybe Photoshop courses. But with all the stuff that's going on in Wales, you'd think that someone would uh, just basically make the most of it, you know, because that, that documentary course is, is a huge... Uh, it's churned out so many well-known names you know unbelievable you know david hearn started it off he still he still lives in wales yeah indeed he does live in Monmouth. yeah um i'm sure you know it's i don't know because i've never gone through the photography education system i don't really know you can always self-teach yourself but it's difficult it you know you don't pick up the tricks of the trade and it's always great to have a mentor i would have given anything to have some sort of mentor so so perhaps somebody 
um, a young photographer sh or an aspiring photographer should latch on to somebody who knows their stuff. Really. Yeah, I would say that would be, and just just pick up some of the invaluable knowledge that they've got yeah. without spending ten years trying to work it out for yourself. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like you know sometimes I'm I'm picking up things now and I'm like, oh my god, I wish I'd known this fifteen years ago. You know, yeah, yeah, just things that have eluded me for obvious things sometimes because I've never really been able to latch on to someone uh, and I suppose kind of documentary ph photographers are, are, are quite uh, few and far between really and they there's yeah I think and I think one of the reasons for that is that I mean I mean when you think about what Life magazine used to do, they had, oh, yeah, they yeah. had a set of photographers, but they used to go off for six months to do one project. Yeah, they did, didn't they? And they embedded themselves with families and in communities. Yeah, yeah. So that element has disappeared because of the immediacy of the digital age, I suppose. The, the then and now, you know, it's just they, yeah. they need everything now. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, you kind of you you are emulating them really. Yeah, <laughs> in many respects, because uh, it's that um, uh, looking at the bigger picture, but seeing the small, but seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, I see. But you know, everything's in place in Wales for for great photography education, but none of it seems to be stay, staying in Wales. I think you know the the kids come from other parts of the UK, do the course. Get take take everything with them out back out of Wales. Do you do do you keep uh, diaries, sketchbooks, journals at all? No, I don't. I, I very rarely write anything down, which <laughs> which is probably be. Uh, but I've saying that I've got a little book which I do scribble some things. It's like a little scrapbook, but I don't really fill it out that often. But I suppose there is something. But, um, you know, I never write down exposure times and things like that, ever. No, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I. I've been tempted to write a blog and stuff, but I never have. I, I, um, I, since you've never touched, since you've never been part of the education system, uh, and did you, I mean, when you were in school, I mean, did photography ever sort of? Oh, I was a bit of a tear away in school, to tell the truth. I left school without any GCSEs uh, at 15 and, you know, I didn't do anything. I just went with my dad for a bit and basically um, totally fluffed school. And it's only in... Hindsight, you think, oh, God, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? But no, no, it was. But photography might never have happened if you'd done, if you'd done Well, that. you never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I obviously fell into, it fell into place when, when skateboarding was around. And my brother, you know, he's a big part of introducing me to photography, I, right. I suppose. Is he well, older than you? Yeah, yeah. He's like nine years older than me. So, so all credit to him. Um, I always kind of... Uh, uh, every interview I've done, I've always said that he's the one that kind of introduced me to it, and he was really. So he's in a way he's your mentor then. I suppose, yeah. Even though we're very different, 
and all we do is bicker about photography because uh, you know what we do is completely different but there is that common bond you know photography well and the common bond of learning how to use a camera yeah 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 because we both did that course together as well ah, so right. that was um he kind of coaxed me to go to that so uh if it wasn't for him i probably wouldn't have done that even so uh because i was i was like pretty much anti anti-education anti-establishment it was oh, i'm not doing any of that you know i'm a skateboarder Ooh. so um, so are you a political beast when it comes to your photography um i suppose yeah hmm. especially with this suicide machine project hmm. i think behind it all is a, a real dig hmm. at the council because hmm. i've seen what my my um my father's got a shop in town and the council have always acted like an enemy to business owners in town constantly he's um you know years ago he was constantly at war with them so I've, you know, that's probably where I get it from. I see everything, I see everything they do, which is kind of um, negative. So I suppose it is directed at them in a way. Yeah. You know, because... It'd be interesting when you're my age, 20 years time, looking yeah. back. Because I look back at stuff, or you're looking back at stuff that was done in the 70s and the 60s and the right. 70s. Yeah. And you can see... And it, the world appears to be a different place. And you wished, I wished I'd done more photography then. Right, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, because a, a whole kind of different era, you know, like even down to the cars and the, yeah. the way they look. And But it'd be interesting. Uh, uh, it'd be, uh, that would be a really good retrospective when, see, you, when yeah, you're older, you to know. To see whether they did do anything. and Because um, they are crushing this town. They really are. And, but they they think they're doing a great job, you know. It's a homogenizing places as well as well. I, I find yeah, it, yeah, know. absolutely. Mm. Yeah, they. But you know, I don't. Don't get me started on them. <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing it through your photography anyway. Yeah, yeah. That it feels you're good. You make a statement. Yeah, it feels good to do that because you couldn't take them. You can't take them on. You can ring them up and complain because they pass you through so many different departments, and so the only way to fight them is like this, I suppose. Yeah. So Great. yeah, excellent. Hopefully they see it. And cool. Take note. <laughs> Great. Okay.